We're crazy for Swayze. Gonna watch everything he made. We're crazy for Swayze. Then we'll talk about it. We're crazy for Swayze. Gonna watch everything he made. We're crazy for Swayze. Then we'll talk about it. Hey, and welcome back to Crazy for Swayze. I'm your host, Fitz Troya. And I'm joined today by my co-host, my roommate, Mr. Josh Young. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm kind of irritated. Why are you irritated? I had to go to a 90-minute meeting about healthcare. I did the same thing um, last week. Terrible. Mine wasn't 90 minutes, though. I could only imagine how how uh, stressful. It was digital, so like, I didn't have my camera on. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. That's better than sitting at the office. Um, do you feel as if going through those meetings where they explain our health care coverage, um, that they're helpful? No, they're not. I mean, they're helpful in certain ways, but it's mostly there to make it feel like it's very complicated, I think. When I was doing mine, they asked me, to set up a savings account, which is reasonable, you know, through the pre- the plan I chose. Sure, whatever. But then they I wanted me to set up an additional savings account uh-huh. so that I could use health insurance money on glasses, but my employer wouldn't contribute to that. It would just be me. Yeah, yeah. The beauty of the health savings account, which is a huge scam, but it sounds nice because it's just money on a card. It's, it's yeah. all a huge scam, and, and it, it's so irritating to have to sit there and listen to them explain this huge scam to me. And hear my coworkers go like, I'm confused. And they're like, oh, no, no, it's really simple. It's just this, that, and the other. It's not really simple. It's designed to be complicated on purpose. Yes, it is. So th- that we don't notice it's a fucking grift. <laughs> makes me so angry. Dude, I'm sorry you had such a stressful time. Like, uh, yeah, well, it's just bullshit because in no other fucking civilized country on earth do they have to have those meetings. Correct. It's a huge waste of everybody's money. Yes, it is. Fucking scam. Dude, well, I hope we can cheer you up today then. Today, we're closing out color month with the creme de la creme, Red Dawn. Boop, boop, boop. The 1984 cult classic. Now, this bad boy clocks in at 114 minutes long. It's PG-13, and it's been directed by John Milius. Millius. Millius? Millius? Millius. Who cares? Yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. Fuck this guy. He also did Conan the Barbarian and Flight of the Intruder. Conan. Now, uh, this was put out by Valkyrie Films and United Artists. Swayze was 32 when he made it, and this was his fifth film it came after grandview usa and before young bloods now josh this this cast we got on this movie mm-hmm. it's kind of stacked we've got swayze top build as jet eckard then we also have him working alongside c thomas hall and darren dalton again uh he's working with jennifer gray for the first time and we're also joined by charlie sheen and leah thompson uh, Harry Dean Stanton's in this bad boy. So is Lane Smith. Uh, we've got lots of talent. Yes, this will be a very stacked and well-made propaganda film. <laughs> it will be a propaganda film, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's made for a wide audience, so we all can appreciate the communist threat. <laughs> They're um, going to come and give you health care. You don't want that. You want to keep your doctor. Dude, uh, you're right. You're right. They just want to, like, do all those horrible, horrible things, those, like, established social programs. Um, I do have a uh, a tagline for you. You want the tagline before we get started? America, we live here. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> it's pretty damn fucking close. <laughs> in, in our time, no foreign army has ever occupied American soil. Until now. Oh, nice. Dude, you know what the funniest part about it? What? It's like another foreign army did occupy American soil. Oh, the British. The Confederates. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were acting like that wasn't American soil. Yeah, so uh, before we get started, fuck the Confederacy. Yeah, yeah, fuck white supremacy. Yeah, fuck all that shit. And if you're uh, one of those people, we don't want to be your friends. You want to watch this movie? Yes. Fuck yeah. So we watched Red Dawn. Josh, how are you feeling about it? Very good. Dude, I love Red Dawn. It was great. We uh we we gave it a twice over because the DVD started over immediately after we we finished it. And uh holy hell, that movie tried to say a lot of things. I don't know what it was trying to say exactly. I feel like it was trying to say lots of things, but I don't think it actually completed the thoughts. Is that I, I'm not sure about that because what do you think it was trying to say? I th I think it was trying to be kind of propaganda y, right? Being super pro America and uh, standing up uh, for foreign threats, but it also had like the Star Wars the aspect of we were rooting for the rebels because. We were essentially ruling, or fighting to be free, just like how the rebellion was, you know. Oh yeah, it's kind of bringing you back to your roots as America. Yeah, it's like we have guerrilla uh, warfare and all that stuff. Yeah, like they specifically use the word guerrilla, mm -hmm. and that's that's interesting. Yes, it was, and like I don't know. I I think that it was also being a boogeyman for communism. Because there's no reason that they came, mm -hmm. just because. And yeah. like when asked, the only person who might know is kind of shrugs. Yeah. So. So it it, it was, it, I, it definitely seemed like it was trying to say something, but it was kind of it was unclear what it was trying to say, other than it was like a, a shoot 'em up, underdog story. America. Yeah. I mean, you're right. And I think that uh, there's some other America stuff in there as well, and we'll, we'll get to it as we as we walk through the movie. I think we'll we'll get to the ideas that encompass uh, its political ideology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, where do you think is a good place to start? Because like it just it, it throws you in with this pre-roll before the title card, even right. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the entire world has fallen apart. And 
these people are invading these people. Everyone's kind of just on their own now and no one's here to help America. And then hard cut to a bunch of people getting ready and going to school, right? Let's go to school, even though the world is falling apart because this stuff is national, international news. It's got to be, right? Yeah. But they're just doing what we do. They're going to school. They're going to work. That's what happens when the world starts falling down around you. You just go to school. You go to work. But as soon as they're at school, then you start seeing paratroopers fall from the sky through the school window. And uh, eventually the teacher goes out to investigate and see what's going on and sees a bunch of people speaking Spanish. And they pull out guns out of these boxes that also had fallen from the sky and gun down the teacher and then immediately shoot into the classroom, killing a child who hangs out the window. That child was dead as fuck. Dude, it was like, it was a way to start a movie. That's where I would drop the title card. I know that they wanted to do the opening crawl and then the title card, but mm-hmm. I would have done the opening crawl, then that opening bit, and is like on the shot of the child hanging out the window. Title card, Red Dawn. It was, it was great. Never before has have foreign troops set foot on American soil until now. Yeah. That was pretty fucking close to what the tag was. Yeah, it's pretty close to the tagline. I I thought it was um, a cool shot at the school because there was one point the the front door gets kicked in mm-hmm. and a guy with a rocket launcher is there, <laughs> just ready and, to go, and he just like shoots into the school. But you'll also see that there's a person standing between the door and the wall facing the outside wall with covering their face. Just like... Oh, no. Yeah. Because they had had lockdown drills in 1984. They didn't know that you're supposed to barricade the door and everyone stays silent inside the classroom. So do you think... How far away do you think, think Jed got from the school when he dropped off Matt... And and was it Robert or was it? Who, who it must have been Robert. It must have been. Well, yeah. So Matt and Robert, or Matt and Matt and uh, Daryl, must have been one of the two. Oh no, Daryl had his own car. Yeah, Daryl is all set up. He's good. It could have been Danny, but it was probably not. Like Robert was always already part of the family even before his dad died. It's a good point. Well, when the boys get dropped off at school, um. Jed says he has to go to his job, which is at this uh, the gas station. We don't know what he does there. He never de- defines it, but it doesn't really matter, you know? There's no jobs in the apocalypse. Um, so right when all of the shooting starts happening at school, Jed happens to just show back up. He in immediately the truck. reappears. He doesn't even stop the truck. No. And all the boys that uh, Matt knows from school just start hopping in the back of it. And they end up making it out of the town enough that they go to Robert's family's like little convenience store on the side of town. Did you like the truck that he was driving? I thought the truck was sick. The Chevy Cheyenne. Yeah? A vehicle that doesn't exist anymore. Why? why how, long, how long ago was it extinct? Uh, I think they had them into the early 90s. Yeah. I'm not positive on that. What was, well, do you know what made them fancy? No, I mean, the body style is weird. They don't make cars with that body style anymore. 
Yeah, the the gas tank looked like it was kind of exposed, or not the gas tank, like at least the 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 nozzle. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a diesel truck or not. It looks like one. It's a pretty. It looked like a heavy duty truck to me. Yeah, because it slams into a car and there's no dent on the truck. <laughs> they were whipping around that son of a bitch, also like driving all off road and everything like that. And as they, they try and escape from the school. Yeah, and uh, once they get to the convenience store, they just kind of loaded up with coke and cocaine. <laughs> yes, copious amounts of cocaine um, and cereal. Mom, and Dad, pickles. give me the stash of cocaine. Yeah, and, we're gonna need this. And then they take a bunch of guns and then they just book it to the woods. Right. I love that montage. That montage is family. It's guns. It's community aid. It's everything you need. It, and and then there was tanks. Also, that was our first introduction to tanks. Right. Yeah, the tanks are blocking the road. So. We were trying to figure out, because this does take place in Colorado, why it was taking place in Colorado. You know, like, why would someone attack the center of the continent or the country to... Well, sort of the center of the continent as well. I guess maybe further a little north. But. Yeah. But so then we were we were trying to figure out what would be the reason to go to Colorado. And how do you get them there so fast? Yeah, yeah, That's right? my question is like, even if they were masked at the Canadian or at the Mexican border, how did they get them to the mountains that and up quickly. the mountains that fast? I feel you. That they were already in the street when they're escaping on the initial day, on the first day. Mm-hmm. And the, continue. No, 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 no. I'm with you. Like that. That's that's the part that I'm like. I, they had to have airdropped them in somehow, you right. know. But at the exact same time, I, mean, I don't know when or where or how they would have done that because because everyone else paratroopered in. Yeah, and uh, yeah, in plot hole. I don't know. I don't know. That was one because may, maybe they found an airfield or something like that, and they were like dropping the cars there and then driving them in. And I think then after we're getting this, uh, the, the, the stock up montage, then we get the introduction to Colonel Bella as well, right? Yes. He shows up and immediately starts dictating what should be happening. This guy's in charge. He speaks Spanish, not Russian. Yes. He's from Cuba? He must be. I, I would expect Cuba. But he uh, is really calling the shots, telling everybody what to do, where he's got to be going and all that kind of stuff. And like what the best plan of action would be. He seems to be the big bad in this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the plan of action, and he's the first one seemingly in charge on the ground. First day, he's there. And he's, like, in the smoking rubble of the city with all his tanks exploding the whole place. He's a boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, guy rules. Then, and at this time, also, we're uh, we're we're having the boys... Like, simultaneously. They have their first camp. Yeah, and, and they kind of are trying to decide what should happen. And Swayze's silent. Yeah, he, he's built a fire. Everyone's kind of been sitting around, and they're like, hey, you know, how long are we going to survive up here on Rice Krispies and olives and stuff like that? And all of a sudden, Daryl's like, I think we should... Well, he appoints himself in. in charge of the children because he's the student body president. Well, I mean, he, he already feels like he's in charge of the children because he's the student body uh-huh. president. He appoint, But he states, I'm the student body president, and with my authority, I suggest that we surrender. Yeah. Which is good foreshadowing for what happens <laughs> when they get into town. It is immediately shot down 
by Jen because uh, he says, "You surrender if you want, but fuck you." Yeah, he's like, "We're we're staying out here. Everyone's welcome to stay, but uh, we're not doing what you're saying. So don't even worry." He's about like, it. "Yeah, me and Matt know how to hunt. You guys may actually you specifically, Daryl, might not know how to do shit, but I know what I'm doing, and I am your new dad." I like that this immediately led to him and Daryl, Jed and Daryl having a fight, which involved them getting thrown over the fire. And oh, like, yeah. Actually, yeah. Darryl, in the fire. Yeah, Daryl was thrown over the fire. Like, he could have lit himself on fire, and that's part of acting, but... Yeah. It was it was an intense little, little now, fight scene. it seems scene. like a good time to mention that the director put Swayze in charge of these children, like, yes. in real life. Yes. That he was the liaison to the director. The director didn't interact with the children directly at all. Oh, damn. Like, Swayze just, he was in charge of the children. So he was probably responsible for that as well. <laughs> I wonder if that's what, what started the uh, the dislike between Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. Well, yeah, the director put him in a really, like, tough situation, you know? Like, yeah. he's like, you're the star of this movie, but also you've got to be in charge of all these people. And... No actor has been in a situation like that before. Not to mention that they were all children anyways. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, that probably made everyone uncomfortable. And hmm, I don't know. I, I have more to say about how Jennifer Grey plays her part, but we'll get to it when she gets in the film. Well, once the boys have been chilling in the woods for a little while. Well, I think it's important to note how they all get on Swayze's page. Matt's like, I'm, because everyone else is pretty noncommittal to whether yes. they're going to give up or not. Yes, but yes. Matt's like, I'm with you. You are my brother and I love you. Mm -hmm. And then Robert's like, all right, I'm on board too. Yeah, but it's all brother shit. And Aardvark is the boy. He's just on board. He does whatever. He he kind of like. Daryl and Danny seem reluctant to join the group, but it's Danny. Then Daryl's the last one to join. Yeah, I feel like Aardvark was really, really, really middle of the fence. He didn't really care. Like he, he was just there to pad out the group. Yeah, so there could be some additional deaths. Like their their squad could have been smaller. It could have been, but I also like Danny think didn't have any characteristics either. Danny was whiny, and he, he at the beginning, but he stopped being whiny eventually. Yeah, he needed to learn to pee in the radiator. Yeah, that's what he needed to do, and how to be like not whiny. Yeah. But he didn't have, like, a family or anything. No. Yeah, like, Aardvark's right. dad at least makes an appearance. Yeah, he makes a few appearances. Um, of his big glasses. I loved his coat. And oh, I Aardvark's. Thought, I was talking about his dad's glasses. I'm talking about his dad's coat as well. <laughs> oh, okay. <That laughs> they both had sick coats. Because because his coat was the one thing that we I we really, like, first seen he's in, it's a really nice coat. Like, oh, that's a damn nice, looks warm. Next time we see him... He's a little beat up, and the coat's a little ripped. And the next time we see him like that, the coat's got blood all over it. All over it, yeah. <laughs> like, the coat had an arc. It was it was its own character. Arc Vark. Arc Vark. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, none of them have any sense of, like, uh, style in the first act. I, I think that some of the boys had some style. Aardvark looks okay, and uh, what's-his-face? Robert is wearing the hat. He's got the Star Wars hat. I liked the Star Wars hat a lot, um, and I did like Swayze's layering. 
Because Jed had... He's always had insane layering yeah, throughout he, the entire film. He's got a t-shirt, and then he's got a work shirt, and then he's got a leather, and then he's got a puffy jacket over top of it. And sometimes they swoop and swap which one's on top. <laughs> Every once in a while, he'll take the t-shirt off and put it on his head. Josh was always like, man... What What's, is going on with this hat? Yeah, he had this hat that we couldn't oh, hold really on, point. No, we're not even close to the hat. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's let's put the hats on the back burner. Let's put the hats on the back burner. These boys have been like fucking chilling in the woods for a few weeks now. And, yeah. They're running out of food. So they start hunting. And this is when like the big scene for Robert happens. He makes his first kill, right? He shoots the deer, which is clearly stuffed. and as they're going over to the deer just to inspect it and stuff like that um they ask robert if it was his first kill ever and he said yes and then the boys the the, judd and maddie both say that when they went hunting with their dads for the first time you gotta yeah you've got to drink the blood of your first kill you gotta and then then the deer's soul goes into your soul and uh it's not that bad you know it's It's not not that that bad. bad And it was one of those things that I think this was the turning point for Robert. This is the point at which he starts joining the family. Yeah, like he he's starting to get into his survivor mode, you know, and uh, he he's trying to provide for the group Mm -hmm. by hunting. So like that, I bet he feels real good about that. And that is uh, Swayze uh, becoming like positive dad. Like, yeah, it's a little bit uh, overly machismo for my taste, but yeah. he becomes positive dad. He's very supportive and he's like, you got to do this thing because it's going to make you a man. He's making his first steps into becoming a positive apocalypse father. <laughs> he's like a Peter Pan in this situation. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he doesn't have any kids of his own. And he's just collecting youths. Yeah. And he's like, this is how you live forever. You drink the blood and you get the soul. And it goes straight to your heart, which is where you want it. I I really liked um, how much blood Robert drank. It's so much. It's <laughs> dripping down his chin and shit. Like a lot. And it's all in and its coat. And it like how much would you shirt. drink? Like a little bit. Oh, like maybe. I'd do at least a gulp if I had to. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I don't want to. He did like at least four gulps. And this is also when I... They'll make you puke. Blood in your tongue is not good for you. Yeah, I know. What what does Fight Club say? You can like swallow a pint of blood or whatever. You're the one referencing Fight Club this time. I don't know. Isn't that <laughs> what they say in that movie? Probably. Dude, I'm not sure. I ain't no nurse. Um, but so he's drinking this blood. And this is when I feel like my my conspiracy theory that Robert's actually now a vampire, right? Because after this Seems like Robert wants to kill everything. And he loves killing. He loves killing. I think loves is an understatement. He is like ready to go all the fucking time. Well, I mean, he's having a lot of tragedies happen to him straight in a row. Yeah. Because after hunting scene, it's time to go see other dad. Well, they went to town. Yeah. And they found, they went to go get uh, Maddie and uh, Judd. Oh, yeah. Fucking uh, Robert all went to town to go get toothbrushes. Toothbrushes. Six toothbrushes. And that's when they found out that there's a uh, a concentration camp at the old drive-in. The most American thing you can think of. And so that's when the boys sneak over there because they found out that not only is there a concentration camp, but they are wanted because uh, 
they found some lists involving who had guns and stuff like that, and then they came up missing. So they were automatically assuming, being some Eagle Scouts, that they were... It was a confluence of factors. Yeah, they're Eagle Scouts. Very American. And uh, their family has these guns that have gone missing, and the children are gone missing, so they must be terrorists. Yeah, like they... These, these people clearly know how to do survival things and they're not accounted for. So they were immediately viewed as threats. And so the family that were accounted for were all put into these concentration camps, right? So the boys go to find it. Mm-hmm. And when they get there, um, Jed and Matt's dad was found. Mr. Harry Dean Stanton, Tom Eckert, shows up. And he delivers monologue like a motherfucker. He... He immediately goes into don't cry like stop crying and he that i feel like that was his main message to the boys was just don't cry because this is happening regardless and before we were acting like that was toxic masculinity uh, yeah i it is in regular society yes but i think if you're in war it might be good advice and yeah i think Looking at it, like I, I definitely understand. Oh well, this is another aspect I thought about. Was like, these are children, you know. They're children. They're like, learning how to become men, and they're learning from the best role model you can possibly have. Yeah, War Swayze. War Swayze. But like, these ones are like, what am I trying to say? Like these things that these these kids are experiencing would give anyone trauma, and it's like. Looking at real soldiers nowadays, they're they're fucked up because they experience these kinds of things regularly. Yeah, yeah, and our war is much less hands-on than it was in this movie and mm-hmm. uh, than it has been in wars past. Yeah, so it's like, this is just an intense situation for everyone. And they, like, take it in leaps and bounds. Oh, He's, yeah, the boys really handle it real good. Yeah, like... I mean, it helps that Robert, like, really enjoys his first kill, which we, I think, already breezed on by. <laughs> no, we haven't gotten there quite yet. But, like, what, the the whole thing meeting with their fathers is just like, hey, uh, your families are probably dead. And uh, if, if, he, if they are alive still, like, we probably won't be for very long, yeah. you know? And like, if I'm still alive tomorrow, that's a blessing yeah and so the, they left that conversation just being like hey don't cry and avenge us avenge us so then the next scene we get to see is three uh three three comrades driving up onto the uh a, a national park sign the arapaho right? national park the arapaho national Park, which i sign. proudly proclaimed is my favorite scene of the movie when it appeared the second time i love it it's just like a, a straight comedy bit, right? I think yes and no because I I feel as if like he the all right of the three soldiers, one of them is supposed to be able to read English, so he walks over to the sign and reads it, right? And he gives an accurate telling of what Americans did to the native population, sort of. Or I mean, like he he gives a less American version of the what what Americans did. Right? I believe what the sign says is something about Teddy Roosevelt having preserved a bunch of trees here. That that that, that is it. And then what he reads is that uh, in 1908, a bunch of Native Americans did a peasant uprising against the colonialist forces. 
and led by Teddy Roosevelt, uh, the colonialist forces uh, massacred over 35,000 Indians or something. That's how he tells the story. And yeah, like, <laughs> like he read the sign, but he wasn't reading the sign. I like, know. And it, he and was just telling the things he knew about American history. Which are like <laughs> probably slightly wrong in a few aspects, but like he's got the oeuvre of it right, you yeah. know? Like more so than the sign does, that's for sure. It was it was <laughs> a very interesting thing. I to, loved it. It's my favorite. To, and and then they they were wandering over a little bit further towards the cliff after taking photos directly in front. Which infuriated you. It direct like they were standing in front of all the words. In front of the signs. Like it's at least stand over a little bit to the side so you can see. Maybe see they don't. Said, a wrap up Poe National Park. Maybe they don't care for Teddy Roosevelt. Maybe they hate him. Yes. Which guess. seems like a good time to mention that there was another Teddy Roosevelt monument at the very beginning of the movie. There was. Insane. Two Teddy Roosevelt mo- monuments. Do we, do we like him that much? I mean, he was like. A rough rider. A rough rider. Which means he rolls. Yeah. He, he, he stopped, dropped, and opened up shop. I think so. I mean, that's how the Rough Riders roll. That is. Um, so, do you think that uh, the scene with with these three soldiers is like a turning point, or do you feel like? Well, yeah, because they start. They have to do some killing, like up close and personal. Well, because this is this is where I was asking because, like, this is one that like they kind of incited this because they found three soldiers that they were hiding from, but then they had to protect themselves. Or they didn't incite it then, but like... Yeah, this they was protecting just, themselves. Yeah, so they killed these three soldiers, the uh, our, our Wolverines, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who's got the arrow? Is that Danny or Daryl? I can't tell them apart. It was Danny. Okay, Danny's got the arrow, the bow and the arrow. He shoots the dude in the back, and the guy yells, I'm dying! My comrades! And then... In Russian, I guess, so it's not I'm dying, but that's... And that's then funny. Erica runs over with... With a fucking rifle and just starts shooting it everywhere. With the you know? least safety precautions you've ever seen on a rifle. It was kind of <laughs> wonderful. Like she's kind of got it with her forearm in her hand. <laughs> and so once this is, the, the these three soldiers are dead and they've been collected by their officers then, right? The officers assume that, yes, this was these Wolverine children, like this, this gang of kids that are, are missing. So what they did was they made their parents dig the graves of the three soldiers uh-huh. and then a trench as well and then they uh, once once finishing burying of the soldiers they did a firing squad on all the parents and I felt like that was the transformation of kids you know? we get a really good shot of uh, Daryl's dad at the firing squad situation yes Lane Smith right I was exposed to him on the Lewis and Clark, uh, Lois and Clark, Adventures of Superman, Adventures of Lois and Clark with Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher. Dumb name for a show. Yeah. He played- the Superman and Lois Power Hour is much better. I liked that one better. That was a great punch up. But he played Perry White on the 90s one with Dean Cain, right? So oh. that, that's how I was exposed to this man. It was just him running around talking to Superman. He's Superman's time. boss. Yeah. And- this was the second time we've had um, Lane Smith in in the film. The first time he kind of sold out the parents. Uh-huh. 
and and the kids, all of them except for his kid. His kid's good. Yeah, it, so that was the. He's more of a politician, like his dad. That's how they found out who was going to be digging the trench was that conversation, and mm-hmm. this one just. After the firing squad started, it just zoomed in and sat on his face. Yeah, and he looks very uncomfortable. And he's sitting there in so his fancy glasses and his business trench coat, just looking like he's about to throw up. Yep. Politicians are yeah. one of the many enemies in this film. I thought it was really, really good. A good scene. Yeah, and he that's what I'm saying. Him and Danny, I mean him and Daryl, his son, mm-hmm. are shitheads. Yeah. Politicians, terrible. Immediately, Daryl wants to turn coat, and, and he did as well, and the mayor did as well. And, like, even after everything that's happened so far, he was still so eager. I don't want to say eager, but so easy to just give up the names of his his friends and family, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then the uh, the the communists all make fun of him. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they make fun of what a weak idiot he is yeah and he's their shepherd he's the community shepherd they they say what a good shepherd they have Mm -hmm. and it's then i think we get over to colonel bella pretty quickly afterwards and it it kind of uh shows you that colonel bella isn't like a a politician he's a he's a man of action he's a man of the people yeah he's more like uh swayze and the wolverines than he's like uh the mayor of the town i uh i liked the next scene because where it is lots of toxic masculinity. What's the next scene that we're talking about here? This is when all the kids are being told not to cry after seeing their families get murdered. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the same scene, really. Yeah, it really is the exact same scene. Just the follow-up to it. Um, All the kids are very, very upset having just seen all of their families get shot up. And... But Robert's dad has been dead this whole time, so he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, Robert's kind of hard to it already. Because he was, like, crying for a full day after his dad died. Mm-hmm. Uh, or after he heard his dad was dead. But, you know, when yeah. when uh, everybody else's parents die, he's like, hmm, well, been there, done that. But this is when we get the, the shot of Jed and Maddie hugging and Jed telling Maddie to stop crying and to let it turn to something else, right? Don't you think that's actually good advice? I was acting like it was bad advice before. See, I, I'm thinking, like, I, I don't think it's the best advice at all. But given the situation, you know, being, uh, I guess, like, rebels in, a, in an invaded territory, you know, like, there are the rabble rousers and stuff like that now, like maybe you do have to be hard. I don't know. But when that, that's not necessarily what he is saying. I mean, it may be what he means, but yeah. you can turn the sadness into anything else. That's yeah. what, that's what the art is. Yes. Yes. So it's actually, it seems like good advice to me. It, yeah. I, I think it could be good advice if the painting wasn't with bullets. Bullets are good. <laughs> In this universe where uh, communism is bad. I think I think for the purpose of the movie, it definitely was uh, a direct way to communicate how he was feeling. You but know? it's also clearly like one of the messages of the movie because it gets repeated by so many different characters. Yeah, it you does. Know? 
Like it's the constant refrain in the movie is like, don't be sad. Mm -hmm. Do something. Yeah. Which is good advice just in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's important to feel the feelings and make sure that you acknowledge that they are important and they are valid. But you can almost always turn quote unquote negative emotions into some positive something or other. Yeah. Whether it's like a, a cake or delicious painting that you paint with ice cream. I I think that a artistic outlet is definitely more constructive than but fighting a revolution? Fighting, well, I don't know. Is I, guess it, it's, it's, I guess it's I I, I guess it's on par. Fighting a revolution is creative in its own way. Yeah. It, yeah. It's both creative and destruction, like in its guerrilla warfare mm -hmm. aspects, but it's also creative in that you do have to build something else afterwards. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I thought that the next scene in the movie, because this is when we first get a real look at an interaction between our team um, going on the offensive, because mm. after... After having the the let it turn to something else conversation, they all decide to let's go fuck shit up, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's when we have a tank pulling into a gas station, and then gunshot. Um, yeah, and then not and, addressed. And Tony rides her bike up, right? And as she's getting closer, there's a gunshot right by the pump near where the tank is. No one addresses it, and then. The, the the I would assume private soldiers jumped off the tank and immediately tried to assault her. Oh yes, <laughs> while while robbing her. This is a good point to talk about the sexual politics of the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. I think this was a great point to ask about things and talk about it. Yeah, because it portrays the Americans as being very good and honest and supporting women mm -hmm. and the women in America being strong and the men respecting that strength. But like, that's not how it is. I don't think it was even depicting the men respecting the strength of women in this movie because the, the real, the real conflict and interactions that would draw any attention to it was when uh, Maddie told Erica to wash the dishes, mm -hmm. you know? And after that, when he was then told that he was wrong to have said that to her, uh, there's only one other time that they talk, and it's when he's getting yelled at about calling them queers. Uh-huh, yeah, but, I mean, you wouldn't send Tony on the mission that she's on in this scene if you didn't respect her ability to do the job. Yes, okay, yeah, I'm seeing she's, where you're coming She's from. portrayed as an equal guerrilla combatant. Yes, 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 okay. And in my experience of media, because I wasn't born yet, it doesn't seem like that was the experience of American women was feeling equally respected in the workplace. Mm -hmm. The workplace, obviously, in this case, being the revolution. Uh, so my understanding of Soviet gender politics, though, is that half of the soldiers should have been women because that's just they have gender equality in Soviet Russia. That's what you were saying. I have no idea about this. I didn't even consider that being a thing. Yeah. Uh, it was part of like socialism. It's like we are equals. We can all contribute. Yes. You know, from each according to their ability. Mm -hmm. And women have slightly different and 
different abilities some people might say yes. um and you but it's it's not enough to matter like women are just as good at being soldiers so i the fact that none of the invading soldiers were female wrong the fact that uh we were respecting the female revolutionaries wrong uh yeah so those two things jumped out at me specifically in this scene wrong wrong uh, but then you you find out that in in the basket that was stolen from Tony's bicycle, uh, yeah, she just gets let go away because yeah. they they just ganked her goods and they were cool with that. And then she starts booking it, right? They she didn't notice there was like booking it, booking massive it. amounts of C four in there uh, or whatever. Explodes the tank. <laughs> like they open up the the basket, and they're like, oh, it all it all checks out. They bring it inside the tank. They close the top. Like, oh, a grenade. And then grenades cause massive explosions in this movie. (laughs) You know, they kind of have a spattering of things that they do. Sometimes they cause explosions. Other times they send shrapnel. Sometimes it's just like a puff of smoke and you assume there's shrapnel. Like, I know that there are multiple types of grenades, but I feel like they're utilizing the gambit of them. I don't think there's grenades that just go like explode, like with fire and all that. I don't think that's possible. Like, yeah, (laughs) maybe it's like a really contained Molotov cocktail. Can like a stick of dynamite do that? I think they just explode, don't they? I don't know. I've never played with that kind of stuff, man. Never had an M80? No. It's just like a big firecracker, dude. I'm pretty sure that they just explode. I've got some firecrackers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure a stick of dynamite or a quarter stick of dynamite, which is an M80, is like just a big firecracker. It just explodes. It doesn't like have any fire or anything. Why would there be fire? Mm-hmm. All the shit just kind of flies outward. Shrapnel. I guess. I, I did like that as she ran away, all the guys were hiding in, in little holes with covers over tops of them. Oh, that was so sick. That's so, when you know they're organized, dude. That's when you know the Wolverines have organized. Yeah, so as... As Tony was running past them, she slides on the ground and all the guys pop out of the little traps with little tarps over top like of them. little prairie dogs? I was going to say like little spiders. What's more American than prairie dogs? And then they just fucking mow down these soldiers that was chasing her, right? And they start booking it. Start booking it. And then that's when everybody, uh, you know, starts just going crazy. And... uh Killing left and right. There's killing. It's killing time. Yeah, and 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 around this time, we've also meet the new colonel. Right out of nowhere, Colonel Andy falls out of the falls out of the sky. We can't call him Colonel Andy. His name is something Booth Powers. Powers Booth. Powers Booth oh. is his name. It's his real name. I know. We I, that's my notes. I'll say Powers. I can't go back. <laughs> Because you thought, because I said his name was Powers Booth, and you thought that that was his character name? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, Powers Booth shows up then. He falls out of the sky, but he's just taking a nap in his uh, in his parachute, right? Yeah, his, his airplane gets shot out of the sky, and after crash landing, he's just, like, huddled underneath the tree, wrapped in his sleeping bag, just, like, cooning it, it up. And like, and it's ready for like he's ready to give us the second expedition. Uh, ex, I'm sorry, exposition dump of the film because the there's been no exposition at all about what's happening from the outside until he arrives and he's like, okay, well, this is kind of what happened, and he shrugs when they ask why. Dude, um, yeah, he he was a welcome addition, but also I was confused. 
He seemed like... No. I, so there was the deleted subplot where he's in love with... What's her face? Erica. I don't know why I can't remember her name. They don't, I don't think they ever say it. Yeah, okay. Uh, he's in love with Erica, and they're in love, but she's a child, so they yes. cut out most of it from the film. But it's a, it's still there. Mm-hmm. It's just severely cut down. So I wonder if there's like a second subplot that also got deleted where he actually was a spy of some sort. I thought that there was a subplot that Maddie had a crush on Erica, and then you were saying that there mm-hmm. was a, then a love triangle situation, but... Um, it's only a true love triangle if Mr. Booth is also in love with Maddie. Yeah, I, I understand this, but like, I feel like that would have been appropriate. There should have been some romance in this movie, honestly. That's one of the things that I think yeah. may bring it down a notch on the Swayze scale. No, I agree with you because uh, where I don't believe there needs to be a romantic subplot in a film, like... I feel like a bunch of teenagers who are fighting, who are revolutionaries, that is, like, pretty sexy. At one point in the movie, they're eating some fruit. Oh, and, yeah, and it's not sexy at all. Well, it's not sexy, but Tony's still squeezing an orange on Judd's head. Totally no just, dialogue just whatsoever. Goofing, just goofing around, being kind of cute. You I know? think that might have been real. Like, I think that they were just, I think that the director is just like, so just eat the fruit. Yeah, You guys are hungry. No, I feel that. But yeah, they were that that was the most romantic, I'd say, happened. Mm-hmm. And it was just I mean, just he them. pets her a little bit when she's dying later on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's about it. And I mean, seconds later. And there's that conversation between Booth and Erica when they're playing football. She know? wants to know about his wife. Yeah, she's asking about his wife and about his family and everything like that. Um, and they were kind of, kind of like squatting and being close to each other, but like there wasn't anything else romantic other than them just being close. Yeah, know? Booth is there for the exposition dump and then to die heroically. Yes, uh, I think it would have been cool if he was, if he was like an agent, if he was like a Russian. I I wish he would have gotten there one scene sooner, because one scene before his arrival was that one with Robert. With that hacksaw and that shotgun. Oh yeah, and he would have told Robert he dude, was doing it all wrong. His his gun cutting procedure was not OSHA approved. Let yeah, me well, tell his you. new dad didn't tell him how to do it properly. So as soon as he shows up, um, he starts. Powers shows up. He starts getting to know all the kids just the littlest bit, and he meets Robert. And Robert's sitting there carving tallies into his butt of his rifle. Yeah, and he's like, dude, not a good idea. He's like, all that hate's going to burn you up. And, and he just looks at him dead in the eyes and goes, it keeps me warm. I'm like, oh, my God. This child's a monster. Robert, you're fucking savage. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, they go to the town then, right? And that's when we're introduced to the... The Russian colonel or the Russian major or something like that. He's some sort of a diplomat. He doesn't yeah. seem to know anything about fighting. I, I'm not really sure what's going on with him either. Either but- way, it's he's kind of set up because, like I was saying, like uh, we're shown that politicians are bad mm-hmm. and that Colonel Bella isn't a politician. He's a soldier and a good man. Yeah, he, he expressed in, uh, 
after the first or second Wolverine's attack that he can sympathize with where they're coming from because he used to feel that way and that's why he joined the cause. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he believes in revolutionary action. Yes. And all of the Russians really should and so should the Cubans. Like, all of the Cubans and all the Russians should agree with revolutionary action and it should be counter to their like ideals to be imperialistic like that. Yes. So he's saying that if you really want to like conquer a people, you have to win their hearts and minds. I, yeah. And and then the immediate response to that was those people lost those wars. Exactly. Yeah. Cause he was like, ah, to quote our, our, the other, the Americans during Vietnam, hearts and minds, etc." And then the Russian politician is like, no, fuck that. Those guys are wrong. And that's, that's again setting up the dichotomy there, right? Yes, and the, then 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 the shop explodes, <laughs> which is actually pretty good commentary on like revolutionary politics, right? Where the Cubans are like a much fresher revolutionary country than uh, Russia is, like they're still feeling the revolutionary spirit, whereas it's already become uh, politicized in Russia and it's already bureaucratic and all that shit. And I thought that at this point as well, it was important because. Um, in the conversation between Bella and the diplomat, they mentioned that, you know, we're the same. And then Bella scoffs and goes, we're policemen. We're policemen. Yeah. That's not what he wants to be. He doesn't want to be a cop. No. He doesn't want to be an imperialist. Mm-hmm. He wants to, like, stroke his wife's gorgeous hair or whatever. Yeah, I, I feel like this was... He's the, a romantic. The spot where, where Bella's, like... Uh, heartstrings start getting played. You know? I think he and, had doubts even while they were at the firing squad, you know? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I think he's had doubts coming in, but, like, the longer he's in Colorado, the more he uh, is is falling away. Oh, yes, and this is actually about the time in the movie when we see him in that gorgeous, like, Russian coat with yes. the fur around the neck. Yes. Yes. I, I think he had the coolest outfits the entire time. Uh, well, I guess we're, we can do Fashion Corner, right? You want to do Fashion Corner? Yeah, I have my swag list over here. At the top of the list is Swayze, and that's actually just not right. So, like, this list is in the wrong order. I think by the end of the movie, Colonel Bell is at the top of the swag list. He's yes. got the most swag out of anybody in this film. Absolutely dripping with swag, no matter what he wears. Oh, that scene where he's wearing those huge sunglasses... Yes. Amazing. The, to, to, they're so large to the point that Josh didn't realize it was Colonel Bella. Yeah. <laughs> I had. I was like, no, that's Bella, man. And he's like, look at these fucking glasses. I was like, that's our dude. And he's like, oh, oh, it is. It's him, yeah. So, okay, he's at the top of the list. And then Swayze. And then probably Aardvark, right? Yeah. Especially he, if you, like, fold his dad into the mix. Dude, that, that first fit he had on was all blue. And he had blue, he just was, his, his blue little suit was fine. And I I really like Aardvark's dad's coat. I mean, like, obviously we're stretching here because the 80s were a terrible time for fashion, right? And and it was a, a wartime as well. Yeah. So it was like whatever the kids had on in school. Well, at one point, Matt was still walking around in his letter jacket. Yeah. And I did not think that, that was a smart idea, especially going into town wearing a letter jacket. Yeah, you don't want that. 
you know, because I'm sure that there was some sort of record. We've been of like, uh, we haven't even mentioned Charlie Sheen. We did it again. Dude, we're talking about him right now. I know, but he doesn't like have any swag at all, man. I I think because he, how many lines did he have? Like 30 lines? And they're all just like, I love you, brother. I'll do whatever you want. His his performance was emotive, but it was very much a shitty teenager that's like, why are you mad at me? What did I do? Carlos Estevez. <laughs> he really is an artist. Yeah, I mean, I think he killed it. Like, I, I mean, he he's so much of a caricature of himself now, you know? Yes. He only does jokes about himself, and that's kind of tired and sad because he's old. It's like he should be funny again. Uh, and do something serious. I like him as the president of the United States. That's funny. I think that may be my favorite role of his as well. Yeah. I, I like him. Uh, he's funny in this movie, but nothing special. I just thought that he turned in the best performance. Like, a lot of the kids were just doing it. They just were show, showed up and did what Swayze told them to do. And then I, they filmed it. <laughs> I liked that he posed the question of what makes them different than us. We live here. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a, a real important question because we never really asked that before this point, you know? It wasn't until the kids had suffered some losses mm-hmm. and had become tired that they really started to examine um, what they were doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of just true to to battle and war in general. Like, how much loss do you have to experience before you start wondering if it's enough Mm -hmm. and why yeah yeah before we dip out of fashion corner robert and tony they get honorable mentions they just had cool outfits what what was your favorite about robert i liked his star wars hat at the beginning um how did you feel about his beret uh fine not as good as Swayze's uh, evolving hat situation i I wish we should address before we leave i liked it I liked that it was progressively more and more. Yeah, I thought it was just like this like Taliban thing he was doing or something. I don't really know, but it was a hoodie with a bandana over it. That's all it was. And then it kept evolving from there. And eventually, he had what looks like a t-shirt over his head to help blend in with the snow. I'm sure it had something to do with keeping the sweat out of his face and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm... I'm positive he had some kind of tactical reasoning behind it. You think you know? so? Oh, I'm, you, I'm sure. I think Swayze had a tactical reasoning behind it. He was like, yeah, this is how I want to do it. This is sick. I got to I gotta look like this. That's how freedom fighters look. But yeah. He like looked, he did a Google. He, <laughs> he looked cool. I liked his hats. And, and as it got colder, he just layered more and more things on top of each other. And then he just put the... Put the hoodie put over the, all of it. Put the band around it. It was like, add another layer. It got colder. I'm going to put the bandana around that instead. And then he just kept kept layering and kept bandana in over top of it. Yeah, I don't think the hat can earn him swag king. Not when uh, B- Bella had that fucking fur coat on. That was Dude. sick. Yeah, that hat coat thing that Swayze was on. He had a hood. He had a shirt or a rag. He had a hood of his jacket. And he was also wearing other stuff too that on his head, I think, as well. well right? I don't, I don't think there was anything else extra on top of that. So it was three layers, though. Yeah, yeah, and also he must have been wearing at least five coats during the winter. Had to have been. <laughs> like, 
Where he was the only one who actually looked like it made it look like it was cold there. Like there were scenes where I didn't believe it was cold, but oh, and Andy was walking around with this flight suit. Yeah, but I guess that was still like November, December. We know that winter isn't bad till February. Yeah, but I also think that if other if everyone else has like snowsuits on and you're just walking around in a in a flight suit, something's not adding up. Yeah, but it, like I feel like this director really p- probably put them through it. Like this. Wait, they filmed in New Mexico. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, never mind. Their winter outfits. They were like. White little abominable snowman kind of situations? No, those weren't their costumes. You're talking about the ones that you said looked like the ice cream cups? Oh, yeah. Well, those I mean, are the bad guys' costumes, winter costumes. But they had their own winter costumes, right? They looked like they were uh, the rebels on Hoth. Yes. Yes. And the bad guys, though, they like had stormtroopers on Hoth. These, these white little outfits with hoods that were kind of pulled tight and they had these like face protectors over top of them that had three little holes in it. Yeah, it was like a face conditioning mask or whatever. Like, Yeah, but I, I compared it to, all right, so like when you go to the hospital or like when you're going to school or something like that and ice cream is an option here in America, right? And they serve it to you with like a wooden spoon. It comes in a little cup and it's, you got the option to have, it's, it's always vanilla but it'll have either cherry or chocolate ribbons through it, right? And you eat it with a little wooden spoon, and there's a little like the the wood is or the the top is like paper or like a wax paper, mm-hmm. or maybe a foil. A foil. I I'd say less of a foil and more of like a a, a cellulose based situation, you know. Just in case you want to eat it. Yeah, maybe. Um, but it, it it reminded me of those. Like looking at one of those head on with the label up to you. This is what their these masks looks like to me. And uh, I was wondering what how did our our kids the Wolverines get their outfits? Yeah, where did they get them from? Yeah, did because because they looked pristine white, right? It wasn't like they shot somebody and then took it off them or anything like that. I hadn't asked this question. Yeah, how did they get these nice white outfits? Did they go go to... Uh, they must have bought six toothbrushes or whatever. Well, did they go back to Erica and Tony's grandparents and be like, hey... They said if you need anything. Yeah. Where did those people come from? Who were they? They were just on the edge of town. How did they know them? They were 40 miles in to to the, the war zone, they were saying. Okay, so they were 20 miles outside of town. Yeah. So it's like, but how did they know them? I don't know. All right, okay. I'm not sure. They didn't really explicitly say, but they kind of said that they knew the kids. They like because they were like a neighborhood kids, you know, like oh yeah, bottle the, kids. The kids, uh, the parents, because as soon as Robert was like, "Hey, have you heard about my dad?" They're like, "Yeah, your dad's dead. Like we know him, dead." Yeah, um, you got a new dad. His name is Jed. Is Jed <laughs> makes so much sense? It rhymes. Dead dad, Jed dad. Jed's doing a good job of being their dad. I think so. I think we can we can uh, exit Fashion Corner and enter our new segment, Rad or Bad Dad. Let's talk about the dads for a moment, Josh. Wow. That was a segue. I I thought that Swayze as a surrogate dad did a a rough job in the beginning, but eventually started uh taking care of all of them. And uh, doing the right thing. I'd say phenomenal dad, Brad dad. He, he was a rad dad. Let's talk about fucking Mr. Eckert. 
two thumbs up for Swayze as a as a rad dad, Mr. Eckert. Yeah, Harry Dean Stanton. How dadly was Harry Dean Stanton? Avenge me! I liked his yelling. I mean, I'd say rad dad, dude. He told them uh, how to be a man and suck it up. Yep. I uh, I I'd say I. I wouldn't say that he's a bad dad, but I don't know if I'd say he's a rad dad. Wow, no judgment. He's he's just a dad. So you're going to say, well, we're going to say, one thumb up. One thumb up. Okay, yes. How do you feel about Lane Smith, the mayor? Bad oh, dad. Bad dad. Bad dad. He let his son get injected uh, or like force-fed a, a tracking device, which was uh, connected to a strange alien uh, tracker. Yeah. How do you feel about Robert's dad? Wait, who the fuck is, he was? Oh, he gave them all the shit at the beginning. Rad dad. Rad dad. Liked him. And uh, how do you feel about Erica and uh, Tony's grandpa, Mr. Miller? Oh, great dad. I mean, great granddad. Granddad. Great granddad. He's a granddad. Rad dad. I rad think, granddad. So that that's like, what, six rad dads and like one bad dad? Oh, shit. Or I, is it like five rad dads, dude, one I, bad I dad and been, one okay dad? I should have been counting. That's uh, fine. We got some rough total. That was our dad segment. How did you feel about it, Josh? Dude, I loved it. There's so many dads. Let's keep ranking these dads. Was man. There, man, if you had four dads, then I think it was five thumbs up. Yeah, I feel like the, the dads were good. How about how about the, the colonel dad? Andy. He's nobody's dad either. He's His name is not Andy. It's Powers Booth. Now I'm the angry one. <laughs> All right. Is Powers, you wouldn't call Powers Booth dadly? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he tries to dad Robert a little bit. He's like, I'm a killer. You're a killer. You don't want to be mad when you're killing. You want to be cold. And Robert's like, no, I want to be warm. I think he's like the war daddy, you know? Like, well, you, they've already got Apocalypse, Dad. They don't need War Dad. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so Powers Booth is not very deadly. I like how this dad section just keeps going on and on. Just like Fashion Corner. Dude, it's, it's fine. I'm fine with it. Do we have any more dads? Have we completed the dadly scale? Yes, we've completed all the dads. There are no more dads. There are no more dads. I think we've got them all in the, in the rapid fire segment, honestly. I think the next thing to, to, to go over is uh, the falling action of the movie, man. It's not falling. It only ramps up. It ramps up and ramps up. What are you talking about? People start dying left and right. Yeah, but like it, that it, like ups the stakes. Yes. yes. Puts them on the tables, which get turned, etc. Yes. So we, we're, we're met in a situation in the winter now where it's, it's February and... The whole gang is out on a mountain, right? Well, this is when I start noting the set pieces in my notes because yeah. it's mostly like fights to the end. Yes. The gang's all on a mountain. And all of a sudden, some tanks just roll the fuck up. And you know what it says in my notes? Tank set piece. Yeah? <laughs> Insane deaths. They, they are, the tanks are looking for them? I'm not really too sure what's going on. Yes, there's some tanks. They exclaimed the tanks are looking for them. Tanks, tanks, they're sentient beings. And so... What we learned throughout this movie is that both tanks and helicopters are game. Yes. Like, yes, that's what are. you want to hunt. So, so Powers Booth jumps on top of this tank. I'm going to get it. And Aardvark, who's experiencing shell shock, you said? I guess it's because it's kind like of? the third act of the movie. 
everyone just starts acting insane because both Powers and Aardvark are acting insane. Yeah, they go and jump on this tank and start just like firing randomly and all this kind of stuff and end up both dying. Not before. Gloriously. Pa- not getting shot by the tank. No, no. Like, Which it, would be insane. In regular fire, but Powers Booth then takes a, a, a grenade to himself and that's what punctures him all up. And then he goes and takes another grenade and pops that into the tank, and that blows the tank up. Then he sends out a smoke smokestack, whatever, you know, a flare. So then they just start firing at the tank then. Oh, man. We did skip over the part where he threw a grenade inside a plane, and the guy inside the plane didn't do anything about it. That was that was Powers, right? I forgot about that, <laughs> dude. That was crazy. Because it says in my notes, plane guy? And yeah, I, I forgot what that was. I thought Powers is the plane guy. No, he put a grenade I, in a plane. I got so wrapped up with the dads, I forgot the the breaking out of the concentration camp with all the people. Our Wolverines infiltrate the concentration camp, right? They drive their cars through it and throw rocket launchers at people. I guess my notes should have said concentration camp set piece. And... We didn't even talk about the concentration camps either. Dude, the concentration camps were their own their own breathing organism that was like weird because they were at the drive-in. I feel like we weren't watching the same movie. <laughs> I, I hate these concentration camps. I know, I know. Uh, I felt like that it was it was the appropriate place to put them being that it was at the drive-in because there was like the structural things that you would need for reprogramming there. Oh, my notes do say the drive-in. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. but then Josh mentioned he's like it's it's odd because it's like a real open space. And then he mentioned that it was like you could see people better, you know. Panopticon. Yeah. It, you could see everything the best. And uh there was this weird fence situation that had like a fence and then six feet and then another fence. When we watched this before, yeah, the fences are what reminded me that I actually had seen it before, even though I claimed I hadn't. Yes. So weird. That's how like strange the fence situation is. Is like it was striking to me, like visually. It makes me feel like the Walking Dead. Yeah, but specifically season two when no, season three when they're at the prison. Yes. And then season four when they're at the prison. Mm-hmm. In season five, when they're at the prison, do they ever leave the prison? Yes, thank God. At the prison is the worst. The governor shows back up with a tank. That sounds awful. Oh no, it's awesome. He annihilates the prison. So they have to move out. Oh, it sucks. You don't want to live in a fucking prison. It's bad for you. You yeah. don't want to raise a child. Period. Period. Send them kids out into the wilderness, and we'll send out a catchpin when they're when they're old enough to get them. Mars ain't no place to raise a kid. Prison ain't no place to raise a kid. Here in this house ain't no place to raise a kid. Not even a dog. How do you feel about um, breaking out of a concentration camp? No, <clears throat> the grenade. As a weapon or in the film? In, 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 I guess as a weapon. Like, Do you feel like 
the gambit of grenades we were given during this film is accurate? Or no, you- I feel like a grenade just blows your hand off, like maybe up to your elbow or your shoulder tops. And of course, it fills your entire body full of, it'll kill you. Yes. Probably because the concussive blast will liquefy your brain or whatever the fuck happens when explosions happen way too close to you. But also, it's going to fill your body full of shrapnel and you're going to bleed to death. Your whole arm is going to be gone. It's going to be gushing everywhere. But your whole body doesn't explode. You're not left as like a bunch of random limbs and pieces of torso and head. How long is like the the, the wick, the, you know, the, the oh, How long does yeah. it take? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And the fact that Jennifer Grey was laying on top of her grenade and then it exploded. Well, she had this thing later on in the film. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I will argue that one because she was holding it in a fashion where the trigger was compressed. Okay. That, that makes the most sense to me. I don't really understand how the whole thing works. I thought after you pulled the pin out, the compression thing had to, it was like further down and like inside the, where you, the ring. Oh, no. I don't know how a grenade works. The ring only acts as a lock. But. What happened was she had kept it compressed in, in a fashion that when she was then moved, then it exploded. Sure, that makes sense to me. What I think a grenade looks like is honestly a lot what it looked like in the film, which mm-hmm. is just like a puff of smoke and then he fell over. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they acted like there was nothing left to bury after uh, Powers, Booth, and Aardvark died from grenade explosion and gunshots. Yeah. But there's plenty of body left in both cases. Like, it was actually pretty funny when the when the turret of the tank whacked Aardvark's body onto the ground. There's a, lot, him over. there's a lot of funny dummy work in this movie. Like, I hope it was dummy work when that guy fell out of the truck really early on in the movie. And when Jennifer Grey falls on top of Patrick Swayze right before she dies, like there's a lot of fun falling in this film. Yeah, that I feel like it makes me wonder if this the they they approached it like like they did with uh, the Warriors. They're like, hey, you've got you've got to be able to run. We're gonna put you through an endurance thing. Oh yeah, well, what probably happened was the director is like. Well, I want to run these kids really hard. What's your deal, Pat? He's like, they call me Buddy. <laughs> and the director's like, great. Well, these kids aren't going to be your buddy, Pat. Uh, they are going to fear you. You are going to be their despotic leader in this apocalyptic landscape. And he's like, okay. And then he just did what his mom did to him, to the children. And then they hated him. He always appreciated it, though. He liked being rid- ridden really hard. That's his favorite. I I don't know. I don't know why that was a thing that happened, though, you know? Yeah, I like, don't know either. That was such an odd choice for the it's, director it's to make. It's strange, like, because he's an adult man. It's not like he's a child. Yeah, he was, like, 35 when this movie was made. He was 31. He was 32. We're very good at this. Nailed it. He was 32, so, I mean, he had the ability to wrangle children if needed. But he isn't a dad. He wasn't, he's not the director of the movie. He doesn't work with children. Like, he, this is one of his first films. I guess, like, they were playing children on the Renegades, but they were clearly all adults. I mean, he wrangled some children in the, the Outsiders. Yeah, including Ponyboy. Yeah. This was, um... Wait, are we on... Pony Watch? Uh, we may be on Pony Watch because we actually have a few repeat people in this movie. This is our first appearance with Jennifer Grey. 
who who he also appears later on with in Dirty Dancing, and this is the repri or the reappearance of Darren Dalton and C. Thomas Hall from The Outsiders. So we've got people spanning all of Crazy Swayze's career mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in this movie. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, I think uh, this movie rules. <laughs> so. After Aardvark and Andy die, then we find out that all the troops with the ice cream masks are coming, right? They've got this little box that boops, and it's got all these signals on, uh, symbols on them that we don't know what they mean. Looks like alien technology. Yeah, it just squiggles and just beeps and blorps, and that's all it is, right? Real freaky looking. And... We see them slowly getting towards the area where our wolverines are, right? And then a tussle ensues where they take out all the troops except for one, right? So they tie them up, and as they're beating them up, trying to get some information out of them, they find the beep box, right? Beep, beep, boop, bop, the beep box. Boop, 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 ba dop, bop, ba doop, ba doops. And Somebody ter- figures out a way to turn it on and notice or it was Matt. He turns it on and realizes that when it points at Daryl, it beeps different. Ah, because off screen, Daryl has been force fed this tracking device, right? Yeah. Off screen, Daryl had gone back into town because Jed told him not to and then was caught. And then somehow he was force fed a tracker. And he mentions being tortured. And everyone starts screaming. Oh, yeah. They're all yelling, including Swayze. He's overacting. Everyone is screaming. Hard cut to the soldier and Daryl standing on one side. Everybody else standing on the other side with guns. And, uh... Yeah, the one remaining soldier that they have. Yeah, and that's when Matt poses the question of what makes them different than us. Which Jed then turns around and says, we live here. And then he shoots him. That's a very... What does it mean? I don't know. I don't know. Especially because this is immediately after the line. Uh, This is against the Geneva Connection. I've never heard of it. Like, he was so passionate about it. And he just shoots this dude. This is against the Geneva Convention. I've never heard of it. Yeah, I've never heard he of it. He screams it. Yeah. We live here. I've never heard of it. Dude gets shot. And then Daryl starts begging Jed not to shoot him. You know, he's like, don't shoot me. Don't please, shoot please, me. Please, you know, please. And Jed's please, having please. a hard time with it because yeah. that's family. Yeah. He's like, I, I just protected you all this time and now you're doing this and everything like that. So Jed's not going to do it. And then that's when we see Robert watch saunter over. Just kind of casually fill his buddy full of bullets. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Because that's what happens to politicians and snitches. It was it, it nuts. The mayor never gets his comeuppance, does he? The mayor doesn't show up again after the, the trench scene. Hmm. That was it. He doesn't come back. R.I.P. to that coat. I guess. That coat did not look like it was uh, warm enough for that setting. Didn't look like it was from the 80s either. When did it look like it was from? Mm. 70s? The 90s? 
I don't know. The 200s? 200s. <laughs> After this execution, you know, this casual execution, we cut to the gang looking at a group of cars on the road. And then as the cars pull away, because they're 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 contemplating if they should shoot it with a rocket launcher or not. Um, were they cars? Were they trucks? Or were they tanks? They were trucks. I'm okay. sorry, full my fruit. mistake. Full and some some boxes of fruit fall off the back of it, right? So just like random fruit, like not fruit that would come from one area of the country. No, correct. It was well, it was oranges and like Chex Mix and all that kind of apples. stuff and apples. Um, so, so I'm assuming it was just import rations and stuff like that. Groceries. Um. But so that, so they send Tony out there real quick and she gets out there and shows that no one's fucking coming back for them or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, because she's good at that. She's the scout. She's the quick one. So, so the whole gang goes out there and picks up some food, right? And then this is when I pose the question to Josh. Is that a coincidence that it fell off that truck or was it on purpose? It was a trap, yeah, for sure. Because... I didn't catch it necessarily the first time. Like, I did think, oh, it's weird and convenient, but I thought that was just like, oh, movies are dumb. Yeah, like, oh, this, they just caught a break. Like, things fall off trucks all the time. That's what we learned sometimes in Ninja it's Turtles. TV, sometimes it's pizzas. Yeah. Sometimes it's a box of fruit. So, that for some reason, you're just shoving the contents of into your into fl- your coat instead of putting coat. it back into the box. But yeah, so all the kids are just hanging out at their hideout, you know? Just eating this fruit, having a good time. They love the fruit. Grunting, because this is like some of the first like... Somebody like does like a snarl. Yeah. like Do you think that was Jennifer Grey or do you think it was somebody else? For some reason, I was thinking it was her. I think it was. Yeah. Like, I think she would be like ravenous. Because she hasn't orange. been speaking throughout the movie. And but like she needs to let out her anger somehow. I feel like they were all being kind of like... They were. A, a little ravenous while they were eating this fruit. It was like a treat for them. Like they Ooh, just sweet treat. Yeah, like they, and it's gonna go bad, so you gotta eat it. Yeah, and out of nowhere, you just start hearing a uh, a helicopter. And Ever it, like you hear the helicopter, it's a yeah. Ever so slightly, you just start hearing it. You hearing, hear and then all of a sudden, helicopter's fucking there. And he's takes out Tony. She just fucking. Filled, puffs, puffs of fucking coats flying everywhere. Glorious and, death. And then, so everyone's scattering. Fucking Jed's pulling her onto a horse. They're all trying to ride away. And this is when Robert tries to go for, uh, you know, the most dangerous game of all. We're going right past man. We're going for fucking helicopters. Well, he's already killed like 40 men. Yeah, he's like, hey, men, they're small, they're small pickings. We're going for... For, for for machines now. Remember Lord of the Rings when yes. he takes down the big ass elephant? Yes. It's only one. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what the situation was. He was definitely. Only he shoots at the helicopter and like a guy falls out. He shoots a rocket launcher at him. Guy falls out. He shoots it through the hole on the side. It's really just bad effects, right? Because like he shot the rocket and they had the, they had the helicopter and like, we can't light it on fire. So yeah, he, he shoots directly, directly through the opening in the helicopter, hits somebody out of it. It explodes everything like that. And then that helicopter goes up and squares up and another helicopter swoops in as well. And these two helicopters just mow down Robert. 
Yeah, pretty glorious death. He went out in a blaze of glory. So who all's left? We've got Matt, we've got Jed, we've got so, Erica, and we've got Danny. Brothers, and then the two people who don't talk at all. Yes. So then that's when Maddie tells Danny and Erica that they have to go. They have to keep going west, get out of the area, because they're going to create a distraction so they can get out. You know? Yeah, brothers create distraction. So Matt and uh, Jed just go into town, start fucking shit up. Distraction. And uh, Plus they get to go back to town one last time. Yeah. As they decide to try and then escape, you know, they hop on this train, hide behind some things, and that's when our Nicaraguan colonel comes out. He doesn't have a name. He does not have a name. We were introduced to him maybe 20 minutes before. Um, he's just another politician. Oh, wait, no, he's not. I'm sorry. He's a like a highly tuned killing machine. He's 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 trying to convince everyone to stop going the way that they were going and then become foxes to hunt them out. Well, I mean, his main goal was like exterminating these six people. That's yes. all they needed is they needed to exterminate these six people. And this guy was like, I'm an expert on hunting down gorillas and we'll yes. find them. He comes out with a gun and starts just shooting at the train. Hits Matt. Matt falls off the train. Jed jumps off and grabs oh, him. He, he has like an Uzi, right? Yeah, he's got an automatic weapon. And like a tiny one, though, not like a like a assault rifle. He's got like a sub a sub submachine gun or something like that. I don't know what you'd call that. Oh well, whatever the case is, it was right. a little automatic weapon. Yeah. And once the train is passed, uh, the colonel goes across the tracks, finds the blood blood trail, and follows it, to which he's met with Swayze with a revolver. Bang, and bang, bang! Just fills him with holes. Swayze fills him with holes, and for some reason, even though he's got that automatic weapon, he's like, all over. Only hit him in the arm or something. Uh huh. Yeah, Swayze didn't look that fucked up. And then, uh, one of our final, our our second, our our penultimate scene is Jed carrying Matt, who has been shot now in the chest, away from from the from the city, and confronting Bella, who has a rifle pointed at them, who then. Lowers the gun, waves them past, and tells them good luck, you know. And then uh, the film fades out with the two brothers sitting on a park bench to the rock they all carved their names into, which has now become memorialized about the Freedom Fighters. You know, I thought Swayze died. See, they leave it ambiguous. I think he did. But I'm not sure okay. if it was from now that, that you've recounted thing. the events of the movie. He didn't die on screen. Yes, he correct. carries his brother who is dead to the bench. Like his brother is coughing up blood. Yeah, and and like we we witness Matt take his last breaths, but then that's pulling out as it fades after that happens, and we don't know anything else about post credit scene. No, that's not what happens. And we get the voiceover from Erica. The first voice. No, this is the second. The second voiceover. voiceover. We get Erica describing that she never saw the brothers again or anything like that. But, you know, we have this memorial here. How do you feel about the first voiceover, Josh? We didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about it, but I think it's important. I think it's actually the most important thing. Yes. Tell us about it. This movie is one in the way that you least expect. Because it is a action movie. They shoot at things. That's what they do. 
But it's not one like that. It's mm-hmm. one because Captain Bella lets Swayze go. Yes. Which is because he becomes sympathetic with the revolutionary cause because he's a revolutionary and he is a romantic who's writing a letter to his wife, yes. first voiceover, which is just a poem about how much he loves her and wants to fuck her. Right? I think so. I And, and how he he longs to be home and just like away from war that's become tedious to him because like this isn't what's important. And him and Jed are equals in that way, right? Yeah. And they both get away in the end Mm -hmm. because of that mutual understanding. Real recognize real. Feel you. That's that. How do you feel about it? What, what, what is your overall feeling of the movie? Like, how would you describe it? Like, how, like, what really, like... I think that scene where the brothers, yeah, Matt and uh, Jed, are uh, sitting in front of that matte painting mm-hmm. and just, like, waxing poetic, just like in The Outsiders, you yeah. know? I think that encapsulates the movie. Yeah, yeah. Because it... it all the reasons that you like it because it explodes and it's so America yeah, and are then, valid and good. But like, I think it, it's artful in more ways than, than it lets on. Yeah. Because as, as Matt walks over to Jed to talk to him, he's whispering and Jed's like, why, gold. why are you, why are you whispering? And he's like, it seemed like a quiet time, you know, like, I think that was one of the things that really showed Maddie was trying to pay attention to the situation. Well, and also that his brother has been teaching him to grow as a good man. Mm-hmm. He's teaching him to appreciate the natural beauty in the world. Yeah, and if some if someone's clearly chilling and just taking some time, maybe we should be a little respectful, you know? And it's kind of about how, like, child soldiers are inevitable in a revolution. Yeah. I think. All right. This movie has really complicated, but also simple politics. Yeah. Like, it, it's so simple that if you try and explain it, it becomes complicated, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it's so contradictory. None of it makes sense if you view it all together. Yeah. But it might be a Fast and Furious movie because it's just about family. And driving cars and shooting guns. It is a Fast and the Furious movie in that sense, man. Um, I think family is actually the number one thing in the movie. I was going to say, I think this is also like a Young Guns. Mm-hmm. Like you train them up? Yeah. I think this is a Young Guns. And uh, not like upset about it. I'm just like, it, it just the, the living on, on the land aspects, you know, and like becoming men. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a cowboy situation. Yeah. And yeah. it's Colorado. Yeah. And New Mexico. Yeah, I... I uh, Stray notes say. I, I feel like where where it is very American, you, you can find a little, a little bit of a... a little bit of something for everybody in it, you know? Yeah. I, it's a revolutionary tale. It's an underdog tale. It's what everybody wants to be. It's a very effective propaganda film. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be subversive in some way because it seemed to be... Per- because the communists seem like 
affable good guys. They don't seem like bad guys yes. in all cases. The, the bureaucrats and the politicians seem like bad guys. So what I'm thinking about this movie is that it might be one of the most American films of all time. Yes, I agree. And that it's about guns and cars and family. And just like it has an anti-politician, an anti-government bias. Yeah. These are the, like the most American things that I can possibly think of. Uh-huh. The government doesn't do anything. It's all about individuals and family and community. The government didn't do anything in this movie. No. It seems like if they did, it was to bend over. The one guy did. Yeah. Uh, Powers Booth. And that's why I won't even refer to him by his character's name. Because I don't even believe him. Because the government did nothing else. And if he was a government employee who did something extra good on his own, for some reason I don't believe that because nobody else in the movie does that. Mm. I believe him more as a spy. Because I think a Soviet is a better American than any American would ever be. But he knew that the capital of Texas wasn't... No, he said Austin. That's he not, said the wrong thing. Yeah, he was a communist. It's a communist. I don't know bad. the capital of Texas. Name the capital of North Dakota. Cheyenne? You're right. Am, am I? I don't know. Are you going to ask me to do one? Name the, the capital of Indiana. Indianapolis. That's not right. We're both communists, dude. We both failed the Red Scare test. And now I'm going to have to edit out all this silence. I don't know what the capital of Indiana is. Neither of us knew the answers to the questions we asked. And that's what makes us the perfect communists. Because if we would have just acted like we were right. It's Indianapolis. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So one of us is a secret communist. <laughs> and it's you. <laughs> one of us is a secret communist. <laughs> <coughs> Secret communist aside, Josh, who is this movie for? Anyone. I mean, it's mostly I, people who like action movies because there's so many explosions. The budget must have been high, which you'll get to eventually. Yeah, I, I don't think you should be looking for a very uh, meaty plot outside of some war games, you know? You know, a teenager would love this, but probably for the wrong reasons. Yes, I, 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 I very much agree. It's a, it's one that I've watched my whole life, you know? So it's like, I, I've always loved it because it was just explosions. It was, it was something you can not necessarily, like, turn your brain off, but, like, you didn't have to, like, care too much because it was going to be exciting any way you sliced it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I was, I was harsh on it the first time. I like it more. I could see why you would like it, and I could see why a person would like it, yeah. and I can see why they would want to remake it. Uh-huh. A hundred percent. But if you can't say that China is the communist threat, what's the fucking point? Yeah, like... They're clearly not the communist threat if they're gonna buy the fucking movie. <laughs> It's all a huge lie, you know? Uh, the threat of communism has always been a lie. In 1984, it was especially a lie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that was one thing that was in, like upsetting about this movie. And these were all children actors. They indoctrinated them to think this as well. Yeah, they, they were very much using a fear-mongering 
um, viewpoint while making this film. Like, it's effective propaganda. Yeah, it's, they did a great job propaganda And it's wise. funny for us to laugh at it now, mm-hmm. but it's not satire in any way. Well, it's, it's not. I mean, it's... It's totally serious. Apparently, the guy who directs this movie has been canceled. I don't know if it was recent or if it was prior, but I think it was prior. Yeah. He said he was canceled. I didn't say it. Oh, like he he just didn't want to do it anymore. He's just like, ah, this is too much work. I'm I'm canceling myself. No, he was like, oh, people don't want. I'm blacklisted because I have hard right wing political views. You mean like he could just make good art? This is good art, and let it just let the art speak for itself. You know, I think the art in this film is really good. I think so. Like, I I I know it isn't satirical, but like, dude, I feel if I saw like, this in the film, I'd be like. This is more like a horror movie than like an action movie if you really think about it, dude. Because like, what if Russia and Cuba really did send some guys over here, man? Wouldn't that be wild? I heard that Joe Rogan has this plan (laughs) where like if they show up, dude, he is going to like send some guys over there with severe martial arts training. Don't. Don't tell Mark Wahlberg about that. He's going to be all re- all for it. Oh, what's happening over in Colorado? Hey, hey, how you doing? Hey, I believe in physical fitness. If hey. you hey, if you don't believe in it then um I feel like this movie was like how do, how do I describe it? Like it's seminal. I the way that it made you Predator like- is for machismo, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like this is for America. But the guy who made Predator knew they were doing the machismo thing and they were hamming it up. Mm-hmm. This guy wow. was doing it seriously. Yeah, and that's why I didn't like it when I watched it the first time. Is like I had to make up, I had to do like literal mental gymnastics to try and this figure is, out how to like this movie, and I did it. This is like survival, um, like military porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. It's it's what is survival military porn. Yeah, and it's like guns will be enough. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's like that's the thing that so many people are so against it and everything, and I totally hear what they're saying. There is like community aid in this, but they're not doing mutual aid. They're just taking charity. Mm -hmm. So useless, wrong. Yeah, I I think that the, the the critiques of this movie are extremely valid. I mean, I think it's wrong, but that doesn't mean it's not. Good. Yeah, it's still entertaining. I liked it a lot. How um, how how do you rank this on the Josh scale? Wow. Let's go to the Josh scale first. I gave it two and a half stars. Yes, that was the first time. Yes. This time I might give it an extra half a star or an extra full star. We'll see. Three to three and a half stars on a five point scale. I I feel I feel as if. Uh, that is a very respectable rating. I mean, I just feel that the second viewing really made it better for me. Granted, I was trying to prove a point here. Yeah, I think you have. America. (laughs) But we already know. We already know. I'm not telling anybody anything new. But what I would want to tell you that's new is that, like, the contradictions in this film where the, the communists have respect for the insurrectionists Mm -hmm. and we have respect for the insurrectionists and we have respect for an ultimately sympathetic character in Colonel Bella. Like 
all of that's part of being an American is like picking and choosing what you like about somebody or a movie or an ideology and being like, this is what makes it great for me. Yeah. That's the joy of America, really. Yeah. Is picking and choosing what you fucking like <laughs> and saying, now that's a goddamn ideology. And then like killing everything else. And making a movie about it. And fucking propagandizing, indoctrinating millions of people for generations to come based on just like a whimsy you had about like, ooh, what if, what if the baddies came to us? Dude, this movie was referenced in Hot Tub Time Machine because like the one jerk kid was like getting all pissed because the new kids were skiing on the mountain. So if you had to pick a dawn... Yeah. Between steel and red, you would pick red. Oh, I don't, uh, dude, that's rough. Don't, don't put me in this situation. Oh, wow. Like, love me, Red Dawn. But, like, Steel Dawn was great. Mm-hmm. Swayze does a Mad Max. Like, he I love He does all a headstand. Like, he, he fights people that come out of the sand. He's Brian a, to a much smaller it. child. Brian is in it. Lisa's in it. Lisa's in it. Like, I don't know, man. Wow. Wow. I didn't think you liked Steel Dawn. What, what I can say is that uh, a Dawn with Swayze is a good Dawn. Okay, what if you had to pick a red? Red State or Red Dawn? Red State or Red Dawn? Yeah, they're both red. I uh, Red State's my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Me too. Um, but I would put Red Dawn over Red State. Okay, okay. I think Red State is cool because of the Waco aspect of it, you know? I think religious fundamentalism is a much more real threat than communism. But, like, this has got Swayze and Jennifer Grey. Okay, okay, okay. Swayze was over the top. This is one, like, the nostalgia. The nostalgia really gets me in this one. And I know that that's a cloudy thing to be. You know, no, bring it into the situation. That's not true. But like, it is. Oh, it is cloudy, but that doesn't mean it's bad, because it's subjective takes are what would make up reality. Yeah, I just, just, I think this is a really interesting snapshot of a of an idea because because like I said, it, it would have been so cool to see it at the theater. Yeah, yeah. When it came out, oh, dude, yeah. Dude, I mean, still, fuck yeah, dude. When we get our theater, when we buy our theater. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do dawn, night, Swayze dawn night, steel dawn, red dawn, back to back all night, steel dawn, red dawn. But if we did like night of the living dead, and then red dawn. Oh, because after the night comes the dawn. Yeah, and then is there like, like an afternoon delight movie? <laughs> Afternoon of the mostly conscious. It was like, can we come up with like a brunch movie? Brunch. Eat free. Dude, how is there not a brunch movie? I don't know. Delete. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Josh. How would you put this on the Swayze scale? The what? The Swayze scale. Okay, how would I rate this on the Swayze scale? Well, should we start with the negatives or the positives? Let's start with the positives. The positives. We've got horses. Horses. Cars. Cars. 
We got some fighting hand to hand and also guns. Yes. We've got some dads. Yes. Got some America. Would would you consider him being uh what's it called? He's talking down to kids. It's dadly. That's dadly. Yeah, that's dadly. I just didn't know if that was its own category yet. Um what are some what are some negatives? Well, there's no dancing. No dancing. And there is no booty. No booties. There's no uh, tracheotomies. I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can take that off the list. We can take that off the list. There's no, there's no monster trucks. There are tanks. So like extra large vehicles, do you think should be a, a thing on the Swayze scale? Why not? I mean, because we already had vehicles. <laughs> cars are different. Like, okay. Like, yeah, cars are every day, but like an obnoxious, like, okay. flashy, unconventional vehicle. I'd, I'd, I'd say it scores pretty high. I think romance needs to be somewhere on there. And there's no I romance agree. in this movie. I agree. Uh, how would you feel saying, like, Nice. Is this kind of late in our show to be quantifying what this is? No, I I feel like this is like a, a nice a nice eight on the Swayze scale. Hell yeah, hell yeah. I think yeah? you're right. There's like, what I've counted here is that there's seven factors on the Swayze scale. There's there's room for, there's definite room for improvement. Uh, but it was it was strong and hitting all the bases, and the bases were fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so an 8 out of 10 child soldiers endangered. Wearing sweatbands. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. How are you feeling, Josh? Feeling pretty good. Was there like a budget for this film? Or yeah, yeah. Like how do you think the people felt? I don't know. Like, I don't we know got what some information like to do it in. So we've got a budget of $17 million. Wow, right? wow, wow. Opening weekend box office. Is that a lot of money back in the day? Yeah, I'd, I'd assume so. I read on the internet that it was kind of a lot. I'd assume it was. Like, $17 million is kind of a lot now. For a movie? With I Patrick guess. Swayze? I don't know. And Charlie Sheen? And yeah. Jennifer Grey? Yeah. And Michael C. Hall? No, yeah. the other one. Thomas, C. Thomas. C. Thomas Howell. That's a different name. Howell? C. Thomas Howell. A seventeen million dollars budget. It opened at eight point two three million, and it grossed thirty eight point three seven million. Right? Yeah, it had a pretty poor opening weekend. Yep, it was filmed in New Mexico, and we've got some ratings. How'd they get it all snowy? Do you think that shit was not actually cold? I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm not sure. But we've got a letterbox at three out of five. We've got IMDb at six point four out of ten. Rotten Tomatoes at forty six percent. An audience score of sixty five percent. And Amazon's got it at four point six out of five with eighty percent five stars and two percent one stars. Amazon's so fucked. I I feel like I, Amazon does not have a good grasp on what the people feel. Well, because it's so hard to rate shit. Like, you have to rate the DVD or whatever. Oh, that's how it works? I don't fucking really... Honestly, I shouldn't speak like an authority. Neither of us shop on Amazon. No. Why do you even ask them for their reviews? Is it just so that I can say, what the fuck is wrong with Amazon? I think that uh, 
Amazon has a lot of interesting opinions in the uh, reviews. <laughs> I like looking at them every once in a while. Would you like to hear one? Can you give me a one-star review? Of course I can. In the meantime, I'll tell you what Roger Ebert thought of this movie. He had never seen the film, or at least he didn't write about it. Um, he didn't write about it. So if I was Roger Ebert, I would say, this is communist fear-mongering. There's no reason to fear troops on our soil. That is absolutely insane. However, explosions are very interesting, and it's hard to argue with Patrick Swayze. One and one half stars out of four. From Tiger Lily on Amazon.com. One out of five stars. Like walking in a circle, it starts nowhere and ends nowhere. Pros, some good acting. I think Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen, who played it very differently, but whom were each real in their own way. Cons, you have to suspend a lot of disbelief. No real relationships were developed within the film. No real ending. Again, just a short voiceover. It's a little depressing, like the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Overall, it'll get your blood pumping for no purpose. It's ultimately a waste of time. See, hearing negative reviews of a film really remind me why I love films. Because that made me want to like this movie more. Because it's like, all the things this person hated were the things that I loved about this movie. She says you have to su suspend a lot of disbelief. Well, I yeah, that is what I like about it. I mean, like, <laughs> does does she does she go into like Batman being like this is this is all true? Holy shit, this guy dresses like a bat. What a fucking weirdo. Does she go into Mars Attacks going like this is this Act. is not far fetched? Like, okay, f fuck this woman. Let's not give her attention. Um, <laughs> You okay? Yeah. What's up? I was thinking, do you think David Lynch has seen this movie? What do you think David Lynch would think of this movie? Do you want to try it out? I already did an impression. Do I want to try it out? <laughs> All right. Wow! I'm David Lynch. This movie was great! There were explosions. But it was fast. Exciting. Let's give her three out of five. Hell yeah, David Lynch. Hell yeah. That's Hell exactly yeah. what he would have said. Well, Josh, I think that does it for me. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, man. I have no additional notes. I think we covered everything. Well, if you want to reach out to us, we're on all of our social medias at at Swayze Pod. We're on fucking Gmail if you want to write us an email at Gmail at, at crazy for Swayze. No, <laughs> what's our email? Our email is SwayzePod at gmail.com. I am right. on Letterbox at Vincent Troya and Josh is on Letterbox at Joshua CY. If you've got Swayze stories, reach out to us and let us know where you're pirating some of his old movies from because we're having a hard time finding some. Yeah, and if you, like, need a copy of The Renegades, you know where to find one. Maybe we could help you out. Who knows? And how'd you like this episode for this movie that you love so much? I liked it. 
I uh, I'm happy we finally started getting into the the heavies. Did we talk for as long as the movie is? I think we may have talked for as long as the movie. Perfect. I think that is okay. <laughs> We're crazy for Swayze. Gonna watch everything he made. We're crazy. 